following takes place between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. Welcome to Track 1 and the first episode of our Chris Chibnall Retrospective. My co-hosts and I will be looking back over Chibnall's contributions to Doctor Who so far. This week, I'm delighted to welcome back Denise Sutton. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. How's the leg? It's almost healed now. I'm still using one crutch when I'm out and about, but uh, if it ever actually stops snowing, I'm sure I'll find it much easier to get around. (laughs) Um, and I believe um, you mentioned recently that you're doing a chronological rewatch of Doctor Who. I certainly am, yes. And I've just finished season 20 and the Five Doctors, and I absolutely adored every minute of it. Excellent. Very, very strong stories. Um, <coughs> I think they they have really aged well, and they, they're things of beauty. They really are. So... Uh, very much enjoyed season 20 and uh, next it's warriors of the deep which i have a little bit of trepidation about but uh, <laughs> i will definitely <laughs> maybe that will also have a bit of a renaissance for me maybe it's a story whose time has come who knows yeah that's it it's funny i, I recently watched the two rani stories and um, enjoyed them way more than i had in the past and uh, kind of a lot better than i remembered them it's, uh, yeah, I think you kind of, there's a lot of nostalgia, isn't it, revisiting things years later? Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, I was 14 years old when season 20 was broadcast yeah. <laughs> for the first time, so that's a um, lot of years ago. But, uh, yes, I uh, really, really did like them, and it wasn't just nostalgia. I mean, particularly yeah. the special edition of Enlightenment. Yeah. It's an absolute joy to watch. It's great, isn't it? That's a, it's a really good story as well. There's a lot of yes. Davison's that are probably my least watched Doctor Who's, I think. Um, I think like Four to Doomsday, I've only seen a couple of times. Uh, I think I watched it when it was on UK Gold and then when I bought the the video. I don't think I've watched the DVD of it yet. Um, I'm doing a chronological rewatch with a mate of mine, but um, we get together so infrequently. It's taken us mm. about six years. And we only started at Spearhead in Space as well because he didn't fancy the um, any kind of recons or, or black and white ones or anything. So we started at Spearhead from Space about six years ago and we're only up to City of Death now. So it's, Well, um, <laughs> yes, that is quite a lot slower. Um, yes, I think I've, it's less than a year ago. I've zoomed yeah. through all of the Pertwees and the Bakers in less than a year. So uh, I've been a busy girl. Yeah. I think I'm going to start my own stand with Hartle soon. That's, uh, that's my plan. So today we're going to talk about 42, um, which was Chris Jimmel's first Doctor Who script, although he was a uh, showrunner of Torchwood uh, and contributed a few scripts to that series. It's the seventh episode of Series 3. Uh, what, what were your impressions of Series 3 generally? Do you have any sort of favourite stories from that? Well, of course, that's the... Um series with the Shakespeare Code in it, which has a special appearance from my brother, who's an extra in it. But, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting series. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of love for season four with with Donna Noble, but Martha is a great character. She is strong. She is beautiful. She is the perfect contrast to Rose. Mm. And... um, Yes, there is a lot to like about that season. 
Yeah, Martha's one of my favourite kind of new new series companions. Um, yes, it's it's great that she came back and season four for a little bit, and also that she did some things in Torchwood too. Yeah, um, I think um, Human Nature, Family of Blood, uh, my favourite stories from this series. Yes, yeah, Absolutely they stand standalone so well. Mm. Um, and this <clears throat> forty two, of course, comes right before the Family of Blood. Yeah, um, so we've had um, the Lazarus experiment immediately before this one. Yes, lots uh, of involvement with Marta's family. Yeah, and this is um, kind of yeah, her first story as a, as a full-on companion, isn't it? She They met in um, Smith & Jones. Yes. And then as a treat for helping him, he, he took her on one trip forward in time, one trip backwards in time. Is that right? They did the Shakespeare Code gridlock. Yes. Yep. And then, oh, they did the the, the Dalek two parter as well, or didn't they? Is that before this? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and then the Lazarus experiment was really him returning her home, and then deciding they were going to travel together, wasn't it? So this was kind of the um, the fully fledged companion, and she gets the the mobile phone with the universal roaming and the key. Mm. So it's kind of a um, kind of a coming of age thing for her, isn't it? As a, as a fully fledged companion yes she's decided she wants to stay he's decided he wants to have her around but uh, yeah the dynamics of the feelings between the two of them are um, a theme in this season as well aren't they because she always likes him a lot more than he likes yeah. her because uh, he's still yearning after Rose yeah. if a time lord can yearn after a human being yeah <laughs> yeah He's still devastated by that, and so uh, has to keep Marta at a bit of a distance. Yeah, I, I think it's a shame she only did one series. But on the other hand, I do quite like that the Tenth Doctor had a different companion for each of his series. Uh, and <coughs> in a weird way, it makes it feel like he had a longer tenure. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, like I say, Marta did come back for a few stories in the following season and for the finale yeah so i mean freema a gamer has had such a fantastic career as well she's in sense eight and uh, i think doctor who was a good starting point for her to really establish herself yeah she did um, as, a few series of law and order uk as well which um i think chris chibnall was uh, i think he was kind of showrunner head writer on um yeah. adapted a lot of the scripts from the american law and order um, to this one, and also had Peter Davison in it for a while. Okay, no, I, they've passed me by, I'm afraid. Oh. Uh, and Bradley Walsh, I think he was about the only character who was in it um, all the way through Law and Order UK. We will soon be seeing uh, as a new companion. Yeah, indeed, and I will find out who he is because I think I get my Bradleys confused in the same yeah. way I get all my Ryans confused. There's yeah. just too many of them. <laughs> You can't keep track of that sort of thing, can you? No, that's it. Um, <laughs> one, once they've been a companion, that's uh, it, it's easy to remember. It's like Peter Capaldi. I always really liked him in anything I saw him, particularly sort of in the thick of it. Um, but he was an, one of those actors I could never remember his name. Um, but of course, once he's been the Doctor, there's, there's no forgetting the name, is there? No, that stops being an issue once yeah. somebody's been the Doctor, yes. One of the unusual things about 42 is that the BBC published a short story by way of a prologue by Joseph Lidster um, before the story was broadcast, um, which goes into the background of one of the characters, Irina Lissock, 
Um, so I thought this one true. We both read this before watching the episode. What did you think of the story? I thought it was lovely. I mean, she was a character that we only saw very briefly, and she wasn't in the best of moods. No. <laughs> um, so it was nice to have a learn a little bit more about her and see where she was coming from. And uh, yeah, it was a lovely little story. Yeah, because she doesn't get um, she doesn't get an awful lot of screen time, does she? She's one of the sort of early victims. Um, yes. So uh, yeah, it was uh, you kind of learn what her relationship is to the rest of the crew. Um, and she's a, a relatively recent addition to the crew as well. Um, so we've actually got a little bit of a reading from that story um, from Lawrence Sutcliffe from the Highlanders podcast. So we'll hear that now. Impact projection, 43 minutes, 11 seconds. And as the countdown continued, she realised again that she needed to toughen up. The captain had told her to wait here, but she knew... She knew that she could help. Irina suddenly realised that not only didn't she want to die, but she didn't want her crewmates to die, even Dev. They were her family now, and while some of them might not like her, at least they couldn't just ignore her, not like Mum and Stefan. She stepped away from the wall and moved towards the door. The captain had said she was heading towards engineering, well, Irina was going to help whether MacDonald liked it or not, and she stepped into the doorway. She risked one last glance back at the computer screen, and she gasped. The trajectory countdown had been replaced by another message. Secure closure, initiating. What? She looked up as suddenly the door started to slide down over her. She leapt into the corridor and started running, Secure closure? What the hell was going on? She ran down the central corridor, her heart pounding, heading towards engineering. Impact projection, 42 minutes, 43 seconds. And there at the end of the corridor, outside the venting rooms, she saw the captain with Riley and Orin. Secure closure activated, announced the computer so calmly. She tried to block out the computer's voice as she ran towards them, sweat pouring down her back, and she could even taste it in her mouth. Then she suddenly noticed that her crewmates weren't alone. She blinked, trying to shake the sweat out of her eyes and continue running. There were definitely two others with MacDonald, Vashti and Scannell. A man and a woman. Two others who weren't crew. Two others who weren't part of her new family. Strangers. She ran towards them, sweating as the ship's temperature increased and ignoring the heat and the sweat and the smell of burning. Irina shouted, Who activated secure closure? I nearly got locked into Area 27. They all turned to look at her as the countdown continued. She looked at the strangers. Who are you? The woman looked terrified. He's the doctor, and I'm Martha. Hello. Irina turned to look at the others, and she realised they all looked terrified, even the captain. And at that moment, Irina Lysak realised that she and everyone else were probably going to die. And the countdown continued. Impact projection. 42 minutes, 27 seconds. 
Thank you very much to Lawrence for that. And Lawrence and his Highlanders co-host John Featonby will be joining me for the next part of the Chris Jimler retrospective when we'll be looking at The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Oh, that's exciting. It is, yeah. I'm, uh, I think it's one of the few that they haven't already covered on their own podcast, so uh, it be, be good to talk to them about that one. Look forward to it. So when um, 42 was originally broadcast, it was um, delayed by a week so the BBC could broadcast the Eurovision Song Contest. And if you remember that from the time. I don't remember that from the time, but, uh, well, I usually watch Eurovision anyway, so uh, I was probably yeah. minorly grumpy about that, but I took it <laughs> in my stride, I expect. What about you? I was pretty grumpy about it at the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get over these things, though, don't we? Yeah, it was... Um, I looked. I looked this up. Serbia won that year. But do you okay. know? Do you know how many countries competed in the Eurovision Song Contest in two thousand seven? Oh, you're asking me this, and it makes me think the answer has to be forty two. Would that be right? It is forty two. Yes. Woo. <laughs> Which brings me to something else we're going to do on this podcast. Um, during the course of the episode, we see the characters have to answer trivia questions to unlock the security doors. Um. So we're going to have uh, some trivia questions ourselves. Um, you've arranged, we've said we kind of do about five each. Yes, I've got five. Great. They're I'm kind of geeky nerdy though. Excellent. <laughs> I was going to write some and then I remembered that I've got the Doctor Who quiz book, the second Doctor Who quiz book and the third Doctor Who quiz book on my bookshelves upstairs doing nothing. Um, so I thought it was time to, uh, to kind of give these a little bit of a run out. So this, Superb. These are from the 80s. They were, the first one was published in 1982. They're all by Nigel Robinson, um, published by Target. Um, I've had these since I was a kid. And uh, it, it occurs to me, I didn't know any other proper Doctor Who fans when I was a kid, so I think I just used to use them to test myself. <laughs> but I think it was before I'd seen a lot of stories as well, so I probably kind of learnt or probably kind of spoiled myself on a lot of them. When I was flicking through them today, I actually think I learned about Adric's death in one of these books. Wow, that's a strange way to learn about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know what you mean. I mean, I used to have the those episode guides as well, yeah. which I think went up to Logopolis. And yes, I learned a lot about the missing stories and the stories for which there hadn't been target novelizations through reading that quite, uh, I think I read it several times. Yeah, um, I was saying those hardback ones by Jean-Marc Lofficer, mm. however you pronounce that, Lofficier. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was the same, I poured over those Yeah, when I was younger. Uh, so, should we, should we have um, our first trivia question, and then we'll crack on with the episode? Sounds good to me. Um, I will go first, so I've got the, uh, the Doctor Who quiz book here. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to choose a page number between uh, 16 and 78. Has to be 42, doesn't it? 42, very good. Uh, and then a question number between 1 and 20. Hmm, 14. 14, okay. So this, uh, this category is Adventures of the Second Doctor. Okay. Oh, uh, this, this is probably harder than some of them. Um, who was second in command of the Martian spaceship which was found in the ice during the Second Ice Age? 
Is sort of an ice mm. warrior's name question. Is, uh... <laughs> well, it was probably called something like Schlor or something like that, wasn't he? Being a bit of an ice warrior. I'm prepared for the fact that I'm probably very wrong there. It was Zondal. Zondal. Yeah. Well, that's a good name. It's a good name. I'm really sorry about that. I think in a million years I would never have got that one either. <laughs> That'd be a good name for a cat. I'm going to call my next cat Zondal. Zondal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, I've got one, a question for you, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay, again with the 42 theme. What was the 42nd story in the classic series? Ooh. Mm. Uh, I can't even think. It would be the third Doctor, maybe? Would it would be the second Doctor. The second Doctor. Um, and it's one where no episodes exist at all. I know that doesn't narrow it down I'm much, does it? Guess then. Um, I'll guess the Macro Terra. Not too far off. Fury from the Deep. Ah. Mm. Okay, so that's nil nil. It's a nil nil so uh, after round one. <laughs> okay, so yes. we'll uh, we'll do another question in a little while. Um, I was going to either go for the Macro Terra or the Wheel in Space, and I'd have been wrong on either count. So. <laughs> I think there's an episode of the Wheel in Space as well, isn't there? I think I've seen it. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'm pleased to go for the Macro Terra, then at least that's one that uh, there's no remaining episodes of. Mm. Yeah, so I think it would be fun to animate if they ever went for it. Yeah, definitely. Um I mean, hopefully, I mean, I think Shard has been quite a big success and, and Power of the Daleks was, so I'd like to think this would become an annual uh, tradition now that we'll get an animated story. I know the um, the, the closure of the BBC store, um, some people are saying that that might be the end of it, but we still got Sharder, didn't we? So Yes, and I suppose with uh, improving computer technology all the time, it might be that these animations become a lot easier or more cost-effective to do. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't quite know how they work, but I suppose if they've already got the second Doctor from uh, Power of the Daleks, that that might kind of save a few quid if they if they do the Macro Terror or uh, even the Daleks or something. So. I'm not sure how it would work, but uh, I mean, it's not like they have to be drawn by hand like 1930s no. Disney anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> that's true. So um, without further ado, we will crack on with the episode. Um, if anybody's watching along at home, we will press play in three, two, one. Yes, and we're zooming through space. That's it, and we've got um, Martha's what looks now, now like an incredibly antiquated mobile phone. <laughs> Yes, is that a Razer, that one? Is that the model that it was? It could be, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you don't get any of those flip-open phones anymore at all, do you? No, no. Um, I mean, I never had one. I never had one like that. But, uh, I did, um, and it was just because it was a bit like a Star Trek communicator mm. <laughs> that uh, that's mainly um, most of the appeal from it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're certainly okay. straight into the action with this episode. Straight from mobile phone to distress signals, so here they are. That's it, aboard the uh, the Pentalion, 
which was originally going to be called the Icarus, um, which, I mean, it would have been quite on the nose, I think. Um, but the reason they changed it was because of the Danny Boyle film, Sunshine. Yes, yes, that was uh, the year before, wasn't it? Yeah, I think um, it, I think it was released while they were making this, or at least, uh, you know, after they already kind of committed to it. Um, so uh, it was kind of to Russell T. Davis's chagrin that um, there was kind of a fairly similar movie coming out, and they changed the name of the ship here to the Pentalion, which is named for the Pentalion drive in the Transmat from Revenge of the Cybermen. I did not know that. No, I read that in Doctor Who, The Complete History, mm. <laughs> when I was doing my research <laughs> last night, um, which... Uh, yeah, I was quite pleased that, that I've got that volume because uh, it's, it's a part work. Obviously, I don't have them all yet, so it's, uh, it's a treasure trove of little facts. Uh, and then um, got this lovely shot of the Doctor and Martha looking out of the, the spaceship. Yes. Um, I also last night listened to the uh, commentary track on the DVD, um, which is Russell T. Davis and Chris Chibnall. So it's uh, it's like a, a multi showrunner episode, mm. um, and they were talking about how this was the longest effects shot they'd done up to this point. They normally sort of limit them to six seconds um, because they're so expensive, um, but this this is the longest one that they've done to date. Um, it is beautiful. The spaceship is a really weird design, looking kind of like a wading bird or something with a look. Yeah. Very long, thin spaceship. Yeah, it's quite, quite delicate looking, isn't it? But but so mm. industrial and gritty as well. Um, yes, you get a real solid sense of all of the metal and the welding and uh, mm. and the red colour as well adds a lot to the atmosphere. It's something else they talk about in the on the production side of it on the um, in the complete history about how the, the the set designer made it all red and all the the lights are kind of red and yellow and orange. Um, to suggest heat um, and they covered the actors in baby oil to make them look um, like they were sweating and greasy yes uh, yeah but the, the the paper mill that they filmed it in was actually freezing cold um, <laughs> so in between takes they were constantly putting those big kind of puffer coats on that um, that you see actors wear between takes and they were drinking cold glasses of water and have put an ice cubes in the mouth so that the the, so that the breath wouldn't vaporise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and there's me illusion. feeling sorry for David Tennant in his suit, thinking yeah. <laughs> he was a bit overdressed. He was the only one who was all right. He probably had thermals on under there. That's it. The rest I don't in, know. in short sleeves. <laughs> so we've got Michelle Collins here as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Probably best known in Britain for roles in the two biggest soap operas in, in EastEnders and then Coronation Street. Yes, and uh, I think she was very well cast. I mean, as spaceship captains go, she's no Beryl Reed, but no. <laughs> uh, she <laughs> she brings the right amount of pathos, I think, to the role. She's tough, but, you know, she loves her husband. She's involved with her crew, and she takes responsibility for what she's done, and a uh, very yeah. good piece of casting. Yeah. And I can't think that I've seen her in much since this, actually. I don't think she's, um, not that I can, that's the top of my head anyway, nothing that I've seen. But um, certainly um, more uh, 
more respectful her husband than she was in EastEnders. I, I was looking up to see what sort of um, storyline she'd had in that. And she, she hired yeah. a hitman to run him over or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was married to Ian Beale, wasn't she? So, uh, was she? I can't, I, I, um, I've never really watched it. I think probably my mum did at that time, but I was uh, probably went out of my way to avoid it. <laughs> I did watch it for a while. I watched it for a while from about 2005 to about 2010, but then, uh, then just... It was all characters that I didn't like making stupid decisions, so yeah. I decided not to waste my time watching <laughs> it anymore. So, uh, so I guess that would have been after Michelle Collins' time. It was, yes, there. but her um, her young children were still living with Mr. Beale. Ah, right. Yes, and we've also... This is Graham Harper who directed this one, of course. Yeah. Who is a legend in Doctor Who terms, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, because it used quite a bit in the Russell T Davies era, but but not at all in the Moffat era, is he? Mm, no, I don't think he has been, but uh, he would always be very welcome back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and given that he's he's directed, um, you know, this this Chibnall script might might be somebody that um, the new regime might bring back, I guess. If he's willing, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how old he is now, or if he's retired. I, th- I kind of think he's still working. He was on a recent, um, well, fairly recent in the last 12 months, Toby Haydock's Who's Round, I think. Okay. Um, and if you listen to that podcast, it, it's put out by Big Finish. Um, uh. and it's Toby Haydock. Yeah, originally, it was he started in the 50th anniversary year, and he was going to introduce somebody who'd either starred in or worked on every episode of Doctor Who. Um, but I think after achieving that, he has continued and he's um, he's... Just interviews loads of people. It's, it's terrific. Um, but I, yeah, I think um, I think it sounded from that like he's still working. Um, they got him in on Coronation Street. I think they were saying on that on that podcast there was a big train crash episode. Oh right, yes. Um, or a tram or a train or whatever came off the bridge and crashed into Coronation Street itself. And I think they got him in to do that because he's he's such a kind of a, a big action director, you know. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's, I suppose, fewer of those in the medium of television. But yes. Yeah. I mean, Caves of Androzani was his, wasn't it? Yeah, Revelation of the Daleks and uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, it's great. Um, on the, uh, the the confidential or the, the shortened version of confidential that they, they put on the box set, uh, David Tennant talks about how before every take, uh, the, the director would shout, pace and energy, pace and energy. To, uh, to to kind of get them all motivated for the scene. Yes, because this is so fast moving, and uh, yeah. I was thinking. I think I've thought every time I've seen this, this is not one for the younger viewers. I can only imagine like the very young children wouldn't have had much to grasp onto with this episode. It's adult relationships. It's yeah. uh, quite well, a perilous situation. No monsters really. Yeah. Just Apparently it was a, an early plan, but very early, and before even the first draft of the script, um, was to have the Ood aboard, um, because it's set in the same sort of time as the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. Um, oh, that would make sense. Yeah, and, the, and that the Ood would become um, possessed by the sun, and, and that they would be the kind of the monster for the episode, but it had been dropped by the time they wrote the first script. Something that um, Russell C. Davies praises Chris Chibnall for in the uh, in the commentary um, is the amount of cutting between the different characters. Um, 
Davis, you know, talks about how he never cuts this this quickly and this um, this much between them. Um, but I think it really gives it a lot of pace in this episode, uh, obviously because it's um, in real time. Yes, it really, really does. Um, and talking through the intercom and uh, yeah, it it feels it adds a level of reality to it. Although it's a very bizarre situation, you know, the, you get to know the characters so much more quickly as well. Another thing that um, Chris Chibnall talks about. Um, I think he talks about the commentary and in um, Doctor Who Confidential um, is his theory that the Doctor works best when he's um, or when they are kind of putting out multiple fires at once. So um, you know, kind of ability to multitask and everything. So the Doctor's trying to fix the engine. He's helping Martha with the quiz questions. He's sending people off to do stuff. He's trying to figure out what's happened to Corwin. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder if that might be something he um, he kind of takes forward with the new Doctor, and um, that kind of frenetic, you know, pace of uh, trying to kind of solve multiple problems at the same time. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's a completely unknown territory for us at the moment, isn't it? We know yeah. where she's where she's been on location, and we know that she's was separated from her TARDIS. But, yeah, uh, in Cape Town, by all accounts, uh, in South Africa, they've been filming the last couple of weeks. Mm. Um, I think there's a picture that the, the TARDIS was was on the location as well, so might put paid to theories that, um, she, you know, she's without the TARDIS for the full season. Might need some repair, though, yeah. based on last time <laughs> we saw it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It might be healing itself, like, in the 11th hour. Mm. So it's quite a nice idea as well, the juxtaposition, isn't it, of Martha on the spaceship in in peril, um, phoning her mum who's uh, just kind of at home making a cup of tea and being a typical mum. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when um, Martha sort of uh, silently screams yeah. <laughs> while her mother's faffing around with the computer mouse, that is. Well, who hasn't done that? Yeah. I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you've done that as well. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, and then admonishing her for, for cheating at, uh, at a pub quiz. Well, that's what mums are for, keeping that's you it. on the straight and narrow. <laughs> uh, should we have another trivia question? Yes, why not? Okay, so if you'd like to choose a page number again between 11 and 66. Uh, this is... Um, the second volume of the quiz book, so if you want to choose 42 again, you can. Um, I'll try 55 this time. 55. Adventures of the First Doctor. Ooh. Uh, and a question between number 1 and 20. Number 3. Number 3. Okay, good luck. I'll need it. <laughs> These are a lot more obscure than I remember them being. <laughs> Either my ability to retain um, just information about Doctor Who when I was younger was better, or I don't know. Okay, so who saved Blossom Lefavre from the dastardly clutches of the evil Darcy Tranton? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I am completely stumped by that one. I don't even know what episode this is from, which story. No, um, I'm guessing it's a missing one because <laughs> I haven't seen it. Uh, so the answers on page 14. Uh, Stephen, when the TARDIS briefly landed on a Hollywood set, 
Um, so that's the Feast of Stephen, isn't it? Then, if um, uh, yes, it sounds like yeah. so, it is a missing one. Um, mm. Probably, um, <laughs> I think what they call the kind of the ultimate missing episode. In fact, isn't it the one that's least likely to be found? Um, because it was the one that wasn't sold abroad as part of the Dalek Master Plan. Yeah, so that one is gone for good. Yeah, even even okay. among uh, all of them that have probably gone for good. <laughs> all right, well, I've got okay. another question for you. Okay, which actors were 42 years old or celebrated the 42nd birthday while they were playing the Doctor? Ah, that is a good one. There's two of them. Right. Um, I'd say one of them has to be Tom Baker. Absolutely. Because he was 40 when he got the role, I think. That's right. And uh, Davidson was only 29. I say Colin Baker. You are completely right. The two Bakers, yes. He played the Doctor between the ages of 41 and 43. When researching this question, I was horrified to discover that Tom Baker was younger than I am now in episode (laughs) four of Logopolis. (laughs) I feel like a million years old now. It's <laughs> yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? Um, I had a similar sort of thing when I rewatched the first Star Wars and kind of thought about how much younger than um, than me the cast are in that now. You know, having having watched it since I was a kid. Get used to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you're old enough to be the mum of Premiership footballers, that's when you yeah. really start to feel old. <laughs> So um, one of the other uh, things that, on this episode that I read in the, in the Complete History, the, um, I can't remember what it was now, the, the star system that this story is set in, I can't remember what it is, but it's named after a flower or a plant of some kind. Oh, yes, the Doctor references it quite early on in the story, doesn't he? He says, oh, you're in the da-da-da system. Oh, yeah. lovely, you know. Originally, yeah. um, Chris Chibnall had written that it was in the, the Peony system, um, mm. the but then he was worried that if they were saying it fast that it might sound like penis system <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he changed it uh, I think the the, the um, sort of welding mask thing in this works very well I think it does yes I mean uh, they're not going to keep their eyes shut all the time so no. it solves a directoral and performance problem I think that they decide to use the helmet instead and then just lift up the visor like that such a narrow visor yeah it's like Cyclops in the X-Men isn't it so Mm. that um, they uh, they're not constantly burning things Uh, the um, I think uh, again I think it was in the complete history or something that um, Chibnall had directed that the the possessed people with the with the helmets um, walked like um the Terminator from Terminator 2, is it the, the T-2000, is it the one, uh, the liquid metal one, you know, oh, right, was, yes. uh, quite slow but purposeful walk, mm. uh, and um, the actor had said that he'd uh, kind of brought some Robocop into it as well, a uh, similar kind of idea, I think. I think that makes a lot of sense, it's, um, to be something moving like human but not human anymore, it's... Mm. Uh, it's powerful. Yeah. And it's that thing like the Cybermen as well, isn't it? Of just being slow and deliberate, um, but unstoppable. And so Corwin 
he's not going to burn this person. He's going to make them like him. Yeah. Only the men that get possessed in this. Um, uh, and I think I'm right in saying it's only women who are killed, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I think you're right. I guess that's, um, I didn't specifically say it, but I guess that's because it's the captain they're after, maybe. Maybe the son can't quite differentiate. Not sure. Uh, it hadn't occurred to me. I mean, this whole um, episode, obviously, the the captain of the ship is female. All of the characters are, there's no sexism. There's <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the different genders of who was attacked and who wasn't hadn't really occurred to me. But yes, you're right. And now Martha and her young yeah. friend escaping. Yeah, this, um, they were about to get in the airlock. Mm. This this is the uh, the kind of image of this episode that always I always think of. I think of 42. It's that moment uh, that we're going to see in a minute where Martha's on, on one side of the glass, the doctor's on the other. Yeah. Uh, they can't hear each other, but they know that the... Um, the uh, Oh, what do you call it? The uh, escape pod is, is basically going to be kind of jet jettisoned into the sun. Um, I think it's very effective. The, the it goes completely quiet, doesn't it? There's no music, and you can just hear a kind of desperately tapping on the tapping glass. Tapping on glass, yeah. Uh, and of course, the contrast of the cold blue lighting in yeah. the escape pod as well. Yeah, I remember watching at the time and thinking, "How are they going to get out of this?" It's uh, <laughs> Plunging towards this sun, once the uh, once this, the escape pod leaves. I mean, they are a great combination, Marta and uh, that character whose name I'm afraid escapes me for the moment. Okay. Rapport of the chemistry instantly, and uh, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's called Riley, um, named for Chris Chibnall's godson. Okay. Yeah. It's is uh, <laughs> full of facts from the complete history because <laughs> I just read it. <laughs> um, yeah, they're great books, the complete history books, very detailed. Uh, can I get two a month as part of the subscription? So uh, always, uh, yes. I'm always quite an expert on whatever story <laughs> has just arrived. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've seen seen them, but um, for me, it's uh, if I was to get them delivered to Norway, it'd probably cost a fortune. Yeah. I mean, if you want to buy a Doctor Who magazine in Norway, that's like the Norwegian equivalent of sixteen quid, and that's quite a lot yeah. for a magazine, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can you get um, an electronic version of it? Is it kind of available on the um, on like an iPad? Thing. Possibly, it. yeah. And things. I'm old-fashioned. I like to own books. I like the smell of books. You know. Yeah, I'm the same with, with Doctor Who books, especially. I always buy the yeah. physical copies. Yeah. So Corwin and uh, and the captain are talking, and he's yeah. remembering her. It's your fault. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we don't know at this point why. Why the sun is out to get them, mm. or even really what it is. I mean, the doctor's describing it as a virus or an yeah. infection, but although he's probably got an inkling, he doesn't know for sure just yet. 
Yeah. That's a great shot of Zoom writing on the doctor's face there of, uh, mm. for the confrontation. Very good. Uh, should we have another trivia question? Yeah, okay. I'll get uh, turn now to the, the third Doctor Who quiz book. Um, hopefully we'll get uh, <laughs> we'll get an easier one this time. So a page between eleven and seventy. Let's have fifty. Page fifty. Uh, Adventures of the Second Doctor again. You can choose again if you like. <laughs> Oh, no, hit me. Uh, I mean, even a stop clock is right twice a day. <laughs> um, and a question between 1 and 20. Number 10. Number 10. Uh, these are ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, even if I just watched the story on some of these, I think it's true. Uh, how did the doctor save Varna from the Croton's dispersion unit? I'm very sorry about this. I... Um, <laughs> When I flicked through it, I thought, oh, yeah, there's just some quite kind of general questions in there that, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that, uh, you know, it'd be quite easy to get. Mm. There are, there are some of that in there, but um, <laughs> some of them are really specific. <laughs> Did he just pull him out of the way or something like that? I'm no. afraid not. <laughs> he shielded her from the effects of the dispersion unit with his umbrella. Ah, I, I had a mental image of a rather destroyed umbrella, but I couldn't remember if that yeah. was to do with that or another part of the story, right? Yes. You don't really associate the second Doctor with an umbrella, I think, do you as well? So. No, no, I think the weather was a bit miserable when they arrived yeah. on the planet. Uh, but, yes. All right, well, I've got another okay. one for you, another 42-themed one. Okay, go for um, it. All right. Um, if you had, a, if every Doctor Who episode existed, and you had been watching Doctor Who for forty-two hours straight, <laughs> what Doctor Who story would you be watching? Ah, You'd still okay. be in the first Doctor. Wow. Um, so, forty-two hours. I don't know. It's going to be a total guess. All right. I will go for the War Machines, something towards the end of his tenure. You would be watching the Dalek Master Plan episode, The Abandoned Planet. Ah. Mm. This, uh, <laughs> it gets complicated, doesn't it? But yes. It does. These are great questions, though. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's people who know this stuff. I think you've, uh, yeah, you've, you've, I feel bad because you've put a lot more work into your questions than I have. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're at the bit we're talking about the, the escape pod is falling towards the sun now. Yes. Martha's crying but still confident in the doctor's ability to save her. Yep. And she's about to phone her mum again. <laughs> yeah. It's quite moving, isn't it? This, uh... And the idea that she talks about here that if she dies, nobody at home will ever, will ever know what happened to her. 
Yeah, she'll just have gone missing one day. Yeah. So, uh, I think she says something similar in in another story as well, isn't she? Gridlock or something like that. It's uh, it's something that kind of. I suppose it, it kind of resonates with uh, the end of this series, doesn't it? The, the idea of people knowing, you know, about what, what people have done. It's a, she goes on to tell the stories about the Doctor, which um, ultimately helps him defeat the Master. Yeah, she's, she's a very thoughtful person. She's not panicking. She's not afraid. She's thinking about her family. She's thinking about the people who love her. Yeah. Realising how lucky she is because Riley doesn't have uh, any family at all, really. No. Apart from the family of the sh ship's crew. Something else I read about the, the production side of this is the um, all the countdown is done by the ship's, the voice of the ship's computer. Um, there isn't like a kind of a big countdown clock on screen because they thought it would make it easier to edit. Um, yes. Edit all together. You can just put the voice on afterwards. You, do, you didn't need to kind of tie it to um, specific sort of uh, events, you know, if one scene was taking longer or anything like that. Yes, I mean, they do have the shots of the countdown clock, but it's not a constant presence yeah. in the show. I mean, it doesn't need to be the pacing. The speed with which everybody's talking and moving it's you know there's a deadline even if you haven't mm. seen the episode from the start you know it's a race against time yeah this is something that keith mentioned i think after we recorded our um twice upon a time podcast and we were talking about the chibnall ones uh he said that there's always a countdown in chibnall's episodes that he's done so far um and obviously 42 is i suppose is the ultimate example of that the whole episode mm. countdown uh, and a good idea because the Doctor Who's format is so flexible, isn't it? To um, to bring that in, uh, the idea of doing an episode in real time. Yes, yeah, and I'm always happy to see a pure science fiction story as well. So. Yeah, um, and quite convenient, obviously, that, that 42 is 24 reversed because uh, this would have been kind of, I guess, around the heyday of 24, the, mm. the TV show that's also in real time. Yes, and the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yeah. Um, new series of um, uh, new radio series, isn't there? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is coming on Radio Four in the spring. Um, is it? I think it's Ian Colfer's and a continuation novel that they're adapting with the original cast. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, I think I've read something about that, but. Uh, Confession, I haven't actually read the continuation story. I sort of left it where Mr. Adams left it yeah. myself. Although I did enjoy the um, Dirk Mag's radio adaptations of the five books. Yeah. I, I haven't read any of the, the later ones either. Yeah. So we've got Martha on the phone to her mum again here with um, mm. Sinister Woman in the background. Yes. On the call. Um, it was, uh, again, this, I know I keep going about the complete history. They were going to bring the character of the sinister man back, who is in um, the Lazarus experiment. 
but the actor was unavailable. Um, and I haven't watched it for ages. The actor is Bertie Carvel, who okay. um, has gone on to kind of much bigger success, um, kind of recently in uh, Dr. Foster, which has been two series of uh, from the BBC. And in the adaptation of um, Jonathan Strange and Dr. Norrell, he was Jonathan Strange. Oh, I loved that series. Yeah, I, I did. watched that over Christmas actually. It's put great. Put the DVD in and gave it another go. Yeah, I loved the book. Really couldn't put the book down. I thought the the adaptation uh, was excellent as well. Um, I hadn't read the book for a few years when I watched it. I think it's the best way with an adaptation as well, um, so that you're not as kind of sensitive to to what they've changed. But the bits that really stuck in my mind from the book were all there. Uh, and pretty much how I'd imagine them as well. So, yeah, I loved that series. It was excellent. Yes, really, really good. Um, I think there is another book in the pipeline, I believe. Oh, brilliant. There's a book of short yeah. stories kind of set around the same the same world. Um, but, yeah, I'd love, a, I'd love another novel as a sequel. Mm, I mean, I, I hadn't read the book first. I read the book afterwards. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I just saw a trailer for the series and it's just it ticked all my boxes you know yeah. it's like yep that one I'm not the target audience for much these days but yeah. that sort of thing is right up my alley so yeah. enjoyed it very much I liked um, Mark Warren's character as the um, I can't remember his name but the fairy that uh, that kind of causes all the trouble oh yes um, yeah, he is dressed he kind of dressed very pertly as well very third doctor mm. I thought um, with the kind of the roofs and the velvet jackets, um, and even his hair was quite quite similar. The the man with the thistle down hair. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a name, yeah. does he? That's right. Mm. Or his name is something that gives you power over him, or something, like, something like that, isn't it? So, I'm not remembering it very well. <laughs> Time um, for another watch. Yeah. Uh, and the doctor is just realizing that the sun is alive. Yeah. Um, it's, I really like that scene where he's at, on the outside of the ship. Um, Russell T. Davis and Chibnall on the, the commentary talk about how... Um, well, interestingly, I didn't notice when I watched the episode, he doesn't use the sonic screwdriver in this one. Um, no. Other than to, um, to tinker with Martha's phone at the start. Well, it's um, a very analogue ship, isn't it? Yeah. It's all proper buttons and... Uh, Things that need to be hit with rivets and things, you know. So. That's it, uh, and they, they really wanted a scene where it was it was a lot of physical effort for him, and a, you know, kind of. I think originally it was a much longer scene where he had to crawl along the length of the ship, but the effect budget wasn't there for that, so he just sort of hangs out that airlock. But um, you still do get the sense, obviously, that the heat would be probably too much for maybe a human. Um, mm. And. Uh, yeah, kind of a lot of effort to, to do it. Always quite kind of unnerving as well when the Doctor's been taken over, isn't it? Yes, it really is. I mean, I don't know how much of it is scripted or how much is ad-libbed, but at mm. one point the Doctor says, I'm so scared. Yeah. And it's very unusual to hear the Doctor say anything like that. Mm. Yeah, he's he really sells it, doesn't he, David Tennant? These scenes mm. where he's possessed, he's he's afraid that he, he's going to kind of lose control and it's going to make him kill them. 
because uh, we'd be much more effective than the, yeah. than the possessed humans at, uh, at killing the uh, the rest of the crew as well. This um, scene he tells them to um, to freeze him to minus two hundred degrees Celsius, um, which is a nod to the space museum when that's what he's frozen to. And this is Marta doing her doc doing her medical doctor thing. We get yeah. to see a little bit of her bed bedside manner. And she's very good, she's very tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's good that um it's kinda of not forgotten, isn't it, that uh, that she is a medical doctor. Yeah, she's giving the orders, she's reassuring the patient, she's mm. listening to him, respecting him. Yeah. Yeah, which is just stay calm. Uh, so you mentioned, is it Sense8? Yes. I haven't watched that. Is that That's um, science fiction, is it? Um, it's got elements of science fiction in it. I haven't watched a lot of it, but um, I should probably give it another go, actually, because it's just so much good. TV these days, yeah, we are yeah. very spoiled. Absolutely, there's there's so much on Netflix. I, I like to catch up on that. Just finding the time, isn't it? Yes, there aren't enough lifetimes. No. No, I have been talking for a while, what with work and everything else, about trying to clone myself a few times. Yeah. You know, just to get <laughs> everything done. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> still awaiting the design of that cloning machine. Yeah, there's been, there has been something news recently, hasn't there? That um, they've cloned some monkeys. That's right. Yeah, same same technology that uh, they used on Dolly the sheep. Mm. They've cloned some monkeys, so I guess it's a step closer. Uh, should we do another trivia question? Okay. Question four. So with this, mm -hmm. I've got um, a pack of cards from the Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit pack. Okay. Um, I'll just kind of flick through them, and if you say when, I will cut the deck there. So I'm going All to... right. When? Okay. Yeah. Um, would you like Time Lords, Companions, Episodes and Stories, Years and Dates, Monsters, or Cast, Crew, and Beyond? Companions. Companions. In which second Doctor story does Polly nearly get converted into a fish person during experiments to raise Atlantis from the sea? The underwater menace. Yes, correct. Finally got all right. Yay. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've got one for you, I think, um, another... Numerical one, I'm afraid. No, what good. was the 42nd episode in the classic series of... Do sorry, in the new series of Doctor Who? Ooh, that is a good one. So. I'll give you a clue. It's a Christmas special. Right. So... There's 13 episodes in the... So it'll be the third Christmas special, which... The first one was the Christmas Invasion, then it was uh, the Runaway Bride, so it would be Voyage of the Damned. 
Yep, that's the one. You did the math. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you hadn't said it was a Christmas special, it would have taken me considerably longer. <laughs> okay. And we're back so. to Corwin and his missus. Yeah. She's uh, backing her into the airlock. Yeah, I do think those masks are a really cool design. You can't go wrong with a good mask, can you? It's like Star Wars when you've got sort of uh, Darth Vader and Boba Fett and all these kind of cool... Uh, yeah, it is a very uh, cool mask. And off they go. Yeah, she's um, got really kind of no choice at that point, has she? It's, she's about to be killed by him. Mm. Uh, she, she kind of goes out on her terms and, and saves the rest of her crew. Doctor's still in absolute agony. Yeah, he's, he's he's brilliant, isn't he? This this type of stuff. Yep. Tenant. Very good. Um, I was listening to the recent um, Big Finish, the Tenth Doctor Adventures Volume Two, where he's reunited with Billy Piper. Um, some really good stories. Really good. Like them a lot. They've even got um, Camille Kajuri back as uh, as Jackie for one of them. Wow! Really nice yeah. I, I will have uh, to give those a listen sometime. Yeah. I mean, there were. I mean, David Tennant was a great Doctor anyway. But it's great that uh, the new the new Doctors are coming back and doing some big finish as well. Yeah, because they they didn't have the rights to anything from the new series for for quite a while. Um, so I think now it's it's kind of wide open. Um, I think after the fiftieth anniversary year, when they did some. They did some co-productions, didn't they, with the BBC? They did those, um, was it, I think they were called Destiny of the Doctor or something like that, where uh, a CD came out every month up to the 50th with a different a different Doctor. So hopefully they can get um, Free Marajiman. So mm-hmm. they've, uh, they've done a box set with Catherine Tate and Billy Piper now. So hopefully they can lure her back from America. This is a great shot as well, and great effects. Um, as oh, Doctor's when his eyes, eyes return, return to, to normal. normal. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really, really strong effect. Yeah. You think in the old series they, they'd um, they'd have something either stuck to the face, which uh, you know kind of gradually disappear over a couple of fades, wouldn't it? But the uh, the way that goes from being that intense brightness to. Uh, um, his eyes just kind of being a bit milky and then then returning to normal. With presumably no um, discomfort for the actor as well. No, yeah. That's progress. Yeah. Or like in The Keeper of Traken where um, Cassia just has some eyes painted onto her eyelids. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I imagine even like saying kind of contact lenses, the technology's probably come on a long way since... um, you know, sort of survival and stuff where they had those uh, yep. those cat, cat eyes in. I don't think they had the kind of the, um, like the ones I wear now, kind of really flimsy, soft contact lenses, uh, breathable and everything. Yes, I wear contact lenses as well. I'm pretty blind. But, uh, yeah, yeah. They've, uh, they used to be, I mean, the hard ones, the glass ones, I suppose they must have been terribly uncomfortable. Yeah, hard to imagine. I'd have just been scared they would break all the time as well. (laughs) Uh, 
I never tried them until um, uh, I got married. Um, I just kind of just under four years, about this time four years ago, I thought I'll give them a try before the wedding, just you know, kind of for the photos and stuff yeah. like that. I was always a bit squeamish about it, um, but then like totally took to it. I should have done it years ago, um, which I had now. So much more convenient if it's raining or anything, which it, it does 99% of the time in Cumbria. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So Martha's saying goodbye to Riley. Yep. First law of space travel. Yeah. If you get the opportunity to kiss somebody to yeah. goodbye, you should probably do it because you'll probably never see them again. Yeah. The guy Even in the if background it's a bit embarrassing and awkward yeah. afterwards. Yeah. The guy in the background's <laughs> face is quite good as well when that's happening. Mm. <laughs> Uh, did she pat the doctor on the bum then? She did, didn't she? Yeah, he totally did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit moody, isn't he? After that, it's. Hmm. Uh, kind of um, brings her down a little bit, but then he he um, he gives her the the Tardis key. Because. Um, yep. I think, uh, again, something that, um, I can't remember what was mentioned now, something that Russell T. Davis had Chibnall put in because he realised at that point he was writing the finale that Martha would need a key for that point. Um, I think it's when the, the, he turns the key into a perception filter, doesn't he? Yes. Mm. So Martha phones her mum again. Yeah, and then it's a really nice foreshadowing, this, isn't it, as well, for the end of the series. Um, I think we knew at this point, oh, it was, it was a heavily rumoured that the Master was coming back, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was. We'd, um, I think it was the next logical thing as well, wasn't it? We'd had the Daleks in Season 1, the Cybermen in Season 2, or Series 1 and 2, rather. Um, the Master was the obvious one to bring back for Series 3. And what a return it was. What a great piece of casting. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I did, I did slightly prefer him in the um, the Series 10 finale, the way he played it. A bit kind of less over the top, you know, kind of a bit more reined in and sinister. A little bit less insane. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then by all accounts, there's an interview where he said that that's how he, he originally wanted to play it as well. Uh, and then we get the trailer for Human Nature, mm. which is uh, absolutely one of my favourite new series stories. It's really strong, yes. So. I love the book as well. It was one of the new adventures that, that always really stuck with me. Um, that and Nightshade, both, uh, I love both of those books. Uh, we've got the audio book of um, Human Nature as well. There we go, so that's 42. Yes. I mean, I like that story a lot, watching it um, this time around. I mean, uh, it's also always a contrast when you go from watching a lot of the classic series and then go straight into a new series, and it's so different. Yeah. But, uh, it really barrels yes. along, doesn't it? I mean, the pace of it, the very small, very... Very, very good cast and mm. the whole atmosphere. It's a great story, well written, well directed. Absolutely. 
Should we have our last round of trivia? Um, yes, we can absolutely do that. I'm afraid mine is uh, <laughs> yet again another what is the 40 seconds. <laughs> I, I should have thought of some more interesting things, no, no. but I had a, bit, a few time constraints there. No, but, I think uh, they're, uh, they're really inventive. I'll, um, so I'll, I'll start going through this deck again. If you just say stop, I'll start now. Okay, stop. Okay, and uh, so the categories again, Time Lords, Companions, Episodes and Stories, Years and Dates, Monsters, or Cast, Crew, and Beyond. I'll have a go at Monsters. Monsters. On what planet does the Doctor first encounter the Mara, the snake-like <laughs> demon that possesses Tegan? So you've watched this very recently, haven't you? I have. Diva Loka, Land of the Kinga. Correct. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the way that you've picked up um, the not we from that story where you call non Doctor Who fans the not we. That's yeah. very cool. Um, I didn't. I didn't originate that, but uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah. I think I can't remember where I saw that originally. I know that um, the uh, the wife in space. Um, they they. Uh, I think maybe that was the first time I saw that. Oh, yeah, Kinder is a great story. Yeah. It's got so much going for it. Yeah, it's great. It's a beautiful it? idea. Yeah, I, mean, I like snake dance a lot as well. Mm. I think usually yeah. David's in the room while I'm watching Doctor Who, but he's yeah. off doing other stuff. But I think he, he was actually quite interested in watching that one. I think there were things yeah. that appealed to him as well. But he's not a not a Doctor Who fan. He can live with yeah. it, but you know, <laughs> within reason. Same. Yeah. It's uh, very different to the stories around it as well, Kinder, isn't it? It's um, mm. Fall to Doomsday before, followed by the visitation. Yeah. yeah. So have you got your last poser? Yes, and um, I'm, this is one that could run and run because I think possibly the definition of companion, I think everybody's ah. probably got a different definition of that. Yeah. But... Uh, would you like to hazard a guess as to who was the 42nd companion has of there, the Doctor? Has there been <laughs> that many companions? There actually have. Yeah, there have been more than that. So, uh, wow. Yes. If I'd, I mean, I've never counted, but if I had to put a number on it, I'd have thought it was kind of in the 20s. But yeah, I guess it, it must be higher than that. Well, I mean, if you include people like people from Unit and... Uh, yeah. People who were only there for a story or two, then the numbers do grow a little bit. So you're counting Sarah Kingdom and Katerina? Yes. Right, let me very quickly. Uh... Let's just... <laughs> I might cut this bit out because it's going to take me ages. Um, <laughs> let me just think. So then there was. Uh, well, I'll, I'll narrow it down a bit. Tenth Doctor. All oh, right. Okay then. Um, is it Martha? No, it isn't. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it is apparently based on the Wikipedia definition of companion, which is a controversial one. I will yeah. give you that. The forty-second companion of the Doctor was Lady Christina de Souza. Oh, I never got that. <laughs> no, I know it's a horrible one, isn't it? But, so that's uh, uh, Michelle Ryan's character from mm. the uh, Planet of the Dead, isn't it? 
Yes, yeah. Ah. So there I was counting on my fingers and toes and thought, yeah. ooh, <laughs> very so, controversial definition of companions in the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're counting her, she doesn't mm. even get a goal. She never target. even travelled in the target. No. <laughs> so it's just a bus, you know. I mean, where do we go with that? Yeah. But, uh, don't argue with me, argue with Wikipedia. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just did the counting on my fingers and toes, you know. Yeah. I think um, I think the final score was two all there. Then I think you could be right. Yes. Very good. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, the, you no, know, no, it was three two to you because you got the two, the two Baker doctors who uh, celebrated their forty second birthday. You uh, guessed Voyage of the Damned. Voyage of the Damned. Well, I, that yeah. was there was a lot of assistance on that one when you narrowed it down to do <laughs> uh, a Christmas special. <laughs> yeah, usually the. Um, the sort of accepted definition is somebody who's had a trip in the TARDIS, isn't it? Or, this is true. Or lasts for more than one story. Mm. Um, but then people don't tend to count Adam, do they? He was counted in this, yeah. I believe. So, yeah, it's... Um... I mean, that doesn't surprise me if they're counting um, Christina. <laughs> mm. they'd, uh, they'd probably count Adam. When they did that um, Doctor Who 50th anniversary, the live after show, he was there, wasn't he, among the companions as well? Bruno Langley, the actor, isn't he? Mm. Recently, been another one who went on to Coronation Street, didn't he? Yeah, well, he was on Coronation Street before and then left for a while, and he's been back on it, uh, but recently been sacked. Oh, right. Yeah, he's um, bit think, of scandal. Yeah, I think there's some allegation of um, uh, of wrongdoing. Yeah, uh, I can't quite remember what it is because <laughs> um, I don't watch it. I just remember kind of seeing the headline. I think. Um, but yeah, he's uh, yeah he's he's gone again. Well, he seems like a nice actor. I hope, uh, hope whatever it is, he can get over it. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not true. Mm. I mean, the last um, Coronation Street actor scandals—they proved to be ultimately unfounded, haven't they? So uh, yeah, there was a spate in them, wasn't there? With um, mm. um, the old guy who's been in it from the start. Uh, can't think of his name. Ken. Mm. Yeah, there was yeah there was two or three at the time though, and they were all suspended, and then um, they've all been brought back because uh, the uh, they were found innocent. Well, that's great. That was forty two. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me back again, Mark. No problem. Um, we'll get you back soon, hopefully. I hope so too. Uh, so we can find you on Twitter. Yes, I am at cup of tea sixty nine. And. Oh, should we say where we can find your poetry? Um, well, there's a link to my blog from my um, Twitter profile page. So it's a WordPress, the Denise person. Great. I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. Join me next time when, as I mentioned earlier, John and Lawrence from the Highlanders will be joining me to discuss the Silurian two-parter from Series 5, uh, which was Chris Jimmel's next contribution to Doctor Who. Thanks for listening. Uh, see you then. Bye. Bye. Forty two prologue written by Joseph Lidster, based on characters and situations created by Chris Chibnall. Arena 
Irina Lysak dropped the welding torch and spun around. Beneath the never-ending roar of the engine, she could have sworn she'd heard someone whisper her name. But that was just ridiculous, wasn't it? She was alone in Area 27. Yeah, she was always alone. She looked down the corridor, peering into the darkness. She was alone, wasn't she? Hello? She took a step forward. Who's there? Riley? Yeah, she figured, turning back. Riley Vashti, winding her up, winding her up to impress the others. Just stop mucking about. But there was silence. Silence except, of course, for the never-ending roar of the engines. Irina sighed and picked up the welding torch, which is when the never-ending engines ended. And suddenly there really was silence. She dropped the torch and ran over to the nearest tem terminal. She stopped and stared at the screen. Impact projection, 46 minutes, 27 seconds. She stood back, terrified. The engines had stopped, which meant 46 minutes until... Desperately trying not to panic, she ran over to the nearest porthole and looked out. Forty-six minutes until they crashed and burned. Right, she thought. Don't sweat it. Something's gone wrong, but things that go wrong can be put right. And who knows, perhaps this could be her chance to really impress the others. Taking a deep breath, she ran over to the nearest communicator and pressed the call button. Ashton, come in, please. Dev's voice crackled through the speaker. No time, Irina. Try someone else. Great, the brush off. No change there. Fine, she'd try someone else. Captain McDonnell, come in, please. Irina, where are you? McDonald sounded as if she was running. Area 27, Irina replied. The engines have gone dead, McDonald cut her off. Yeah, we'd notice, thanks. Irina took a deep breath. Stay calm. They don't mean to be rude. What should I do? What? McDonald laughed. Do your job. Activate the distress signal and sit tight. I'm heading to engineering with Scannell and Vashti. Out. The communicator crackled once more, and for a second Irina thought she heard her name being whispered again. She stepped back and looked at the speaker. Just interference, she muttered. She ran back to the computer terminal and activated the distress signal. Things must be bad, she realised, if the captain was calling for outside help. Impact projection, 45 minutes 48 seconds. Irina watched as the seconds ticked away and suddenly felt very alone. She collapsed against the hull and waited. She wasn't even sure what she was waiting for. Orders? To be rescued? Or was she just waiting to die? That's it, Irina. Cheery as ever. Impact projection. 45 minutes. 29 seconds. She turned away from the monitor and bit her lip. She could smell something burning. What the hell am I doing here anyway?
She thought back to the coffee shop where she'd met Riley Vashti only a few months before, back on Tourage Alpha, back home. She'd been managing the place, bored senseless week after week after week until one day he'd arrived. She'd watched as he'd come in looking lost, looking so cute. Irina smiled as she remembered how she'd gone over to him, sat down uninvited and asked his name. He told her, said he was working on some cargo ship. Then, apparently nervous, he'd asked about her. She was a waitress, yeah? Before she could stop herself, she told him how her mum owned the chain of coffee houses. Mum. Irina stopped smiling as she thought about her mum. What if she never saw her again? They'd never been close exactly. Mum had always been more interested in Stefan, Irina's oh-so-perfect older brother. As long as Stefan did well, then Irina could fend for herself, which had been fine. She'd not let it get to her. Well, she'd tried not to anyway. All she really wanted to do, though, was get away. Get away from home, get away from the family, get away from everything, see the stars. She remembered how she told Riley this, desperate for him to not think she was some rich kid. She told him how all she'd wanted to do was travel, see the system. She'd loads of mates who'd gone backpacking around the outer worlds, but she wanted to do it for real. And he'd told her about the ship he worked on, the Pentalion. A crewman had just left to settle down, so they were looking for someone to be a basic dog's body. And in that moment, being a basic dog's body had sounded like heaven to Irina Lysak. If it meant getting away from the comfort zone of Toraja Alpha, then she'd do it. She begged him there and then to introduce her to his captain. So that afternoon she'd met Kath MacDonald and signed up. And that evening she'd left her mum a note and climbed on board the Pentalion with just a rucksack full of clothes and a need to impress. Impact projection, 44 minutes, 12 seconds. And here she was, facing death. Perhaps Mum had been right after all. Maybe Stefan was the clever one. He wasn't the one about to die with a bunch of people who couldn't stand him. She thought back to that first night on board. That desperation to hide her background, to try and fit in. There were seven in the crew, including her. Riley and Kath she'd already met, of course. He was so lovely, but clearly wasn't interested in her. She wasn't sure if he was just shy or whether he thought he was better than her. She wouldn't have been surprised if he had a boy or girl waiting in every world. Kath MacDonald was the only one who seemed to ignore her upbringing. She treated Irina the same way as she treated the rest of the crew, while the rest of the crew, except for Corvin. Corvin MacDonald was the captain's husband. He was a good bloke, great sense of humour, and Irina thought guiltily, gorgeous with eyes you could lose yourself in. Then there was Oren Scannell. He pretty much ignored her. 
She sometimes wondered if he had a thing for the captain, as they seemed to share a lot of furtive glances. But she'd always figured she'd have known if something was going on. With only seven people on board, there wasn't much chance of secrets staying secrets. Although saying that, Abby Lerner, the Pentalian's doctor, she was strange. Outwardly, she was friendly enough, but there was something about her, something that Irina couldn't put her finger on. It was as if she was holding something back. And then there was Dev, Dev Ashton. He'd made his distaste for her quite apparent from the moment she'd stepped on board. He was from one of the outer worlds, and he clearly had a problem with her privileged background. He'd made that obvious on the first night, when he accidentally locked her inside Area 24. All it had done, though, was make her stronger. She was determined to show them she wasn't some rich kid treating this as some kind of adventure. She was determined to make them like her. Impact projection, 43 minutes, 11 seconds. And as the countdown continued, she realised again that she needed to toughen up. The captain had told her to wait here, but she knew, she knew that she could help. Irina suddenly realised that not only didn't she want to die, but she didn't want her crewmates to die, even Dev. They were her family now, and while some of them might not like her, at least they couldn't just ignore her, not like Mum and Stefan. She stepped away from the wall and moved towards the door. The captain had said she was heading towards engineering. Well, Irina was going to help whether MacDonald liked it or not, and she stepped into the doorway. She risked one last glance back at the computer screen, and she gasped. The trajectory countdown had been replaced by another message. Secure closure, initiating. What? She looked up as suddenly the door started to slide down over her. She leapt into the corridor and started running. Secure closure? What the hell was going on? She ran down the central corridor, her heart pounding, heading towards engineering. Impact projection, 42 minutes, 43 seconds. And there at the end of the corridor, outside the venting rooms, she saw the captain with Riley and Orin. Secure closure activated announced the computer so calmly. She tried to block out the computer's voice as she ran towards them, sweat pouring down her back, and she could even taste it in her mouth. Then she suddenly noticed that her crewmates weren't alone. She blinked, trying to shake the sweat out of her eyes and continue running. There were definitely two others with MacDonald, Vashti and Scannell, a man and a woman, two others who weren't crew. Two others who weren't part of her new family. Strangers. She ran towards them, sweating as the ship's temperature increased and ignoring the heat and the sweat and the smell of burning. Irina shouted, Who activated secure closure? I nearly got locked into Area 27. They all turned to look at her as the countdown continued. She looked at the strangers. Who are you? The woman looked terrified. He's the doctor and I'm Martha. Hello. Irina 
turned to look at the others and she realised they all looked terrified, even the captain. And at that moment, Irina Lysak realised that she and everyone else were probably going to die. And the countdown continued. Impact projection, 42 minutes, 27 seconds.